This is episode 87 with Julien Bro of hardbacon.ca. If you want to learn to raise money for a digital course, this is the episode for you. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. This episode is brought to you by BackerKit. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the spreadsheet nightmares after your campaign is done. Let me explain. Once you have hundreds of new backers for your product, you're going to be exporting a ton of customer data that is probably going to change. People will need to change their shipping address. They'll want to downgrade some of their rewards. They'll want to buy more rewards. And when you don't have a system in place to help with this, it's actually going to be taking a lot more of your time dealing with customer service admin, and you're probably going to screw stuff up, which is not good long-term for customer relations. BackerKit gives you a full done-for-you software platform online where you can easily manage all of your customer data. And my favorite part about working with them is that once your campaign actually wraps up, they help you get additional sales from your customers by offering to upsell to more rewards or options that you may or may not have on your campaign. They have worked with more than 2,000 projects, delivering more than 3.5 million rewards um, and products. This could be digital products or, heck, even physical products to you guys. They've been amazing to work with. I've partnered with them on the show because I've worked with them in the past and they are amazing. So if you are looking for a partner after your campaign, that's going to make your life super easy. They are the ones to go to. To find out more information, go to backerkit.com. But wait, at checkout, they're actually giving the uncut listeners, which are you guys, going to give you 50% off of their setup services. So when you go to backerkit.com, go to checkout and use the five code uncut, U-N-C-U-T. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. I'm Kirsten Ross, and today I have the pleasure of a fellow Canadian joining me on the show. Uh, Julien, I do not ever get to speak to Canadians, so this is really exciting for me. Um, I'm actually pretty stoked about this episode because um, I remember you, because you've been on my mailing list for a while, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, oh, thank you. And um, I just sent out... I, I got inspired a few months ago and I'm like, I'm going to send out a case study. And so I sent out one about Founder Magazine, how I helped them uh, have a successful Kickstarter. And then you actually replied back and you're like, hey, I just want to let you know that uh, we've launched a digital course and we've raised close to $20,000. At that point, you've now gone on to raise close to $70,000 for a digital course. And I thought, that's interesting. Um, how the heck did you raise that much money for a course? Because there's this big misconception or this big like thing where because I'm a consultant, I get some consultants or service providers coming to me and they're like, I really want to do a crowdfunding campaign, but I don't know how to frame it so it makes sense for my launch. And I usually say that, you know, if you're an accountant or if you are a consultant and you want to do a campaign for one on one time or something that doesn't scale, it just it doesn't make sense because crowdfunding, as we know, is all about creating something awesome and having a funding goal around that. So I would always say, if you're a service provider, the best way to a crowdfunding campaign is to have a digital course. But I haven't actually seen one do what I would consider successful. And as soon as I sent that and I clicked through, I loved your advertising. It's uh, it's a course called Not Another Boring 
course on investment. And that speaks to me because I'm very financially illiterate. And I was like, ooh, these guys got their marketing great and they're raising a ton of money for a digital course. And that is not an angle that I've had on the show. So I invited Julianne onto the show and I'm just really excited to dig into see why you chose crowdfunding and um, and just dig into your story a little bit. So thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. So you know, I've given a brief introduction, but I liked, I don't want to spoil it. So can you give us a bit of a background on who Julien Bro is and um, and how you got into doing what you're doing today? Yeah, so so I, uh, I don't know, like, uh, what's the length of the story you want me to tell, but I don't have a very um, standard path. So, so basically, I... I didn't go to university. Well, I did a couple courses at the university, but I never like enrolled full time in, in the university. Uh, so, so I started like my career like doing a little bit of freelance journalism, and I had like, also a publishing house uh, that I sold. So, so that's kind of a, my first experience in business. Um, and I always like valued like information, uh, obviously, and that's why I, I became a business journalist eventually. Uh, and, uh, like I was always interested in the, the media business, like how do you, uh, create value by bringing knowledge to people? Um, and, uh, so, so maybe the, the story is a little too long, uh, but, uh, as a business journalist, I was writing about the stock market, about investment. And, uh, I, I felt like this is something that's really have value because it's actionable, um, so, so that's something that, uh, that I thought a lot about, and, and that's why I eventually transitioned to um, a VC firm that invested in fintech, because basically the information, while like, people can know everything that is going on in the world for free on the internet, that's great, uh, uh, stock market that is super expensive, uh, all the tools out there are like always uh, uh, behind uh, walls, uh, so, so that's kind of... I think there's a disruption right now, and that's kind of the space uh, we are. So we're building basically a, a mobile um, app that allows people to invest in the stock market uh, with all the modern tools. Um, and uh, the yeah, the crowdfunding. Like, so so now you're like, what is the link be, be, between that and crowdfunding? Um, and uh, that, that's kind of a, a stretch. But like since starting the company, um, I. I I was super active at b- building my audience. Uh, I-, I knew that like uh, we have like just a few apps on our phone, and like having an audience is super important. And at some point, it's the audience that told us like, "Oh, we don't know that." Like, and I had a lot of questions, so I was like, "Okay, so so I, maybe I'm gonna do a book or something like that." And uh, th- that's kind of where it come from. So you mentioned. Um, I just want to back up a bit because I yep. had the pleasure of getting to know you um, a little bit offline. Well, no, yep. that's not true. But on another call that we did. So I just want to back up to get some of the good yep. stuff out of you. So my understanding is that not another boring course for investment was not your first project, and you actually had a bit of an audience going into this ahead of time. Yep. Um, so when we were speaking before, you'd mentioned. Um, the whole crowdfunding idea started because of an app that you were looking to create. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, can you tell me a bit about that before you got into the like jump from that to yeah, the yeah. investment course? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, so, so basically, um, uh, when I started the company in June, uh, like since the beginning, it was the idea to uh, to to launch to commercialize this app. But like since it's an investing app, it's it's like a, a big project. 
um, and we look into like, is it possible to crowdfund an app? Because like, uh, I'm a former business journalist. I, I'm good at like uh, telling a story. So I was like, maybe I could use crowdfunding. Um, and, and like everything I saw, like all, all the project to crowdfund app basically never works. Uh, pe people like don't see like, you know, like you download an app, you don't expect, it, it's not, I, I don't think it would have worked. Uh, but at the same time, I saw that people uh, lacked a lot of knowledge to invest in the stock market. So I was like, okay, maybe I can do, uh, and then I had the idea, either I'm, I'm, it's going to be a book or an online course. And it's really talking to the audience. People are like, no, I don't, I don't have time to read a book about investment. It sounds boring. And, and it's like a lot of the words we use in a campaign were actually words uh, that, that users and people were telling us when I was doing customer interviews or just exchanging email. Oh man, that's great. You just, there's so much gold in what you said. I'm just going to pick it apart. So we mentioned before, and even like I've said this kind of on podcast, but I really want to dig into this app thing because yeah. when, um, you know, I've been getting on the phone with my audience and doing customer interviews, like, you know, you just mentioned the value in and, um, Someone's like, okay, I really want to raise money for this app, and it's a free app, and my go-to user are going to be consumers, just like who are, is on a crowdfunding campaign. So first off, the app that you originally wanted to crowdfund, was it freemium model, or did you want to monetize that directly? Uh, so, 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 so yeah, the, the app is going to be like either a subscription or freemium. Uh, it's not completely set into stone. Uh, but it's probably going to be like a small cost, something like $5 a month to use it. Right. So it's not something that is so, uh, like the, the the value is, is not so high. That Like the perceived value of like, oh, I get this app is not so incredible. Yeah, because people like, I mean, not to mention, people love being able to get something tangible from a campaign. But if you yeah. need to raise $15,000 to develop this app and you look at your $5 rewards, there's just not enough, as you say, perceived value in that for people yeah. to want to exchange money for it. And you're better off looking at other funding models for that. So, yeah, for yeah. a subscription model, because like people will say, okay, fine, it's worth $5. And then they will see, oh, this is tremendous value every month. So I'm not saying my app is not worth it. But like the perceived value of saying, oh, I'm giving you two years subscription. Like, I don't know what's the value of the subscription while like, you know, something more uh, concrete is always yeah. better. Um, I spoke to someone last week who had this great idea. I can't, I can't mention it NDA purposes, but he's like, yeah, you know, the user, I want to um, finish developing this app so the user can have a better experience. And I said, you know, exactly what we just spoke about. And I said, you know, if you really want to crowdfund this, the best way to do it is to create some sort of hardware component or some mm. tool outside of an app that, because, you know, in his model it worked. And he's like, okay, because in that case, you could charge $100 for it, you can develop that, and then on the back end, the app can be used for the thing, right? So yeah. there are, and it sounds like that's what you did, where you your model changed from an app, which you're still doing, but you're like, how can I bring this to the masses in a way that's going to serve other people? And so... Um, why did you, you know, you, you said scratch the app and then somewhere along the way you were doing customer interviews. So what prompted you to want to get on the phone and get to know your audience a little bit more? Um, so, 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 uh, so it, it cut, I, I didn't have to understand the last part of your question. Oh, sorry. Um, with, 
you decided, okay, first, my first idea is to crowdfund an app. And then you, you looked yep. at the market and said, you know, that's probably not going to work for these reasons. Yep. So what can I do? And that's, I'm assuming, where you started to speak to your customers, do interviews, and get to know your audience, which led you to develop the course, I'm assuming. Yep. So what why did you want to get on the phone with your customers and get to know them as opposed to just jump into it and say, I'm just going to launch this course and see if people want it? I, I mean, it's like uh, I'm a big fan of Lean Startup. Uh, so um, for, for those who don't know, it's like, it's like an amazing book by Eric Rice that basically tell you how you need to build product people want rather than like product that you see in your head. Um, and, and so, so like for me, that's what like, Launching uh, Hard Bacon, the first two weeks was basically just that. I was just like uh, riding my bicycle in Montreal, like, having coffee every 30 minutes at different places. Uh, and so that was kind of my first round of interview. And I did like, and I, I guess I'm due for another round. So I did quite a few rounds. Or At some point, like, I moved over the phone because I'm too busy to just <laughs> uh, ride around and uh, have coffee. Uh, but yeah, it's it's like for me, it's a constant process, and you you want to test ideas on like, and not necessarily say like, oh, I have this idea of this course, it's going to be called that, blah blah blah. Do you want it? And people will say, yeah, it sounds nice. Uh, I, I would like it, but it, like the ideas you ask, like what what are you paying for right now? What like what have value for you today? Um, and that that's how I discovered like online courses have high person value, uh, but but like. So, so basically, the customer interview were done more on the app, uh, but I, I just used it to to ask other questions, and I, I saw that people really uh, and a lot of people couldn't invest in the stock market because they say I don't know enough. So, like for me, like having all those backers, I think there's like seven hundred and eighty backers. Those people are going to be the first subscriber to the app. I I I hope. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder too. Um... How did you find these people? Like, did you just call up some friends at, and just said, hey, can I pick your brain about this? Or did you have a bit more of a um, method behind it where you were you somehow identified people who were struggling with the exact pain point you were going after? Like, can you go through that process a little bit? Yeah. So, so I guess my approach is not like the, the best case scenario because I, I basically just use Facebook uh, saying like, uh, like I'm looking to do customer interview and then this post got shared and got a lot of comments. Uh, I would say that I met too much people that actually knew way too much about investing in the stock market to be my target customer. So I lost some time there, uh, but it was easy to see like, oh, okay, this person like, you know, and some people's like, oh, this guy know about the stock market. So like, and you meet the guy and he's actually working for a broker and you're like, okay, you're absolutely not my customer. Uh, but it, I, I learned about the industry. So it, depends like at the beginning of the company it was it didn't matter and then uh, as my email list grew i did another round where i basically uh, shoot to all my list uh, i don't know it was a couple thousand at the time i'm i'm looking at to talk to people that never invested in the stock market um before uh, so one they had the interest because they were subscribed to my news that are about investment so they, they kind of were thinking about investing but they never had done so in the past so that was like interviews that were much more valuable uh but but yeah i mean there's no secrets like you just need to talk to the people that will be your customer 
Yeah, it's kind of like if you're testing a new weight loss product, you don't want to talk to your your aunt who does CrossFit five times a week because she <laughs> yeah. she doesn't really un- have the pain. She doesn't experience the pain point of losing weight because she doesn't have yeah. that as a problem. So if you can go and identify those people that are struggling with the very thing that your thing looks to solve, like in this case, I really resonate with your investment course because I haven't. I don't invest right now because I just think there's this big wall up where, as you said, like, I just don't know where to start. So I think I'm going to go to a broker or like, you know, I've invested with friends where I have a few friends that have really great real estate portfolios. So I'm like, Hey, here's some cash. Can you just invest it? Because I understand that if I do it, I'm going to lose money because I don't know what I'm doing. So it's, um, yeah, so much value in what you're saying. And how did you rec- you mentioned that a lot of your marketing that you did on your campaign were straight from the customer's mouth. So did you record yeah. these sessions or did you just take a lot of notes? Like how did that go? Uh, it depends like the first round it's, it's all about time. Like uh, like for the first two weeks when my company basically didn't exist, I recorded, I transcribed, I, I had like a lot of notes. And then as like, you know, you're, you're building a company and then you have like billions of things to do and like not enough resource, I, I got like a little bit, you know, it's just a note I was taking live and, you know, it's not complete. Uh, but, but yeah, like uh, the words that people use are super, and it's so fun because you just said, I don't know where to start. And that's not something I would never use in marketing material. Like, but I heard it so many times uh, people the exact same where I don't know where to start. So like, that's sure. Like, I don't know exactly. I, I used it in landing pages, but this is like powerful because people are saying that. Well, I don't know if you can remember this cause it was a while ago, but what was your favorite question to ask? No. What was the most impactful question you would ask during these sessions that would give you the best information that you could use? Uh, I would say that the most um, the best question is is really about the behavior of people. So it's like, how much money do you have in your savings account or your checking account? Um, like, did you ever talk to a financial advisor? Why? And it's more like question toward the past and their behavior than their aspiration. Like, oh, would you like uh, to be a big shot stock market investor in twenty years? Like, everyone's gonna say yes or something. So I like that. I'm going to extract a little bit. So you focused on the now, which is, you know, just you saying that puts a bit of a stress in my stomach. Did you take that conversation a bit further to say, you know, if you don't learn to take control of your finances or your savings or whatever, you know, what are the outcomes in five years? Did you ever like future scope it like that with them? I I, I didn't. Um, uh, Actually, like, and at the end of the, the interviews, I was always asking those questions like, oh, what do you think about like an ad that would have this feature? And this is the part that have almost no value, but it's still interesting to, to like, you never know, like people can give you feedback, but this feedback is uh, of little value. Uh, the, the best is when like you're asking a lot of questions on the past and on the now, and they're saying like, I'm looking for this thing. And you didn't describe any feature. Right? I wasn't not even talking about app. I was just talking a lot of question about their financial situation and uh, what they didn't understand and what they did understand. So that, that's the, the most value is when people are like, oh, you know what? If this existed, that would be awesome. 
Yeah, no, I, I really, really like this. Now, going to pause. We cannot forget to thank the guys over at BackerKit for sponsoring this episode. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the logistics, spreadsheets, and um, sorting customer data. Not only do they help make customer address changes super easy or changing rewards after someone has already bought, but the power is that they also help you um, do upsells and downsells and take care of all that. So if you don't have a system or platform already set up, um, they've already built that for you. And the best part, you can find them at backerkit.com, but they've actually um, created a discount code for the uncut listeners, which are you guys. So if you go to... Uh, check out, use the code UNCUT, U-N-C-U-T. They're going to give you 50% off of their startup services, which is amazing. Um, so if you want to keep selling and keep making money and stay super organized um, after your campaign, they are the guys to go to. I've worked with them on a few campaigns now, and they are amazing. Again, backerkit.com. When you went to launch your crowdfunding campaign, um, how big would you say your audience was? And by audience, I mean email list. Uh, I, I think it was uh, about 4,000 email address awesome. I collected. Um, and uh, so I, I use like, you know, when you have a company, you can like measure your uh, growth by a lot of metrics. But like email was basically the number one after revenue, revenue being usually the most important. Uh, so everywhere, like whether on like uh, my social media profiles, I was always like subscribed to my newsletter and I'm going to send you content you're never going to see on my website. And I, I guess you're doing it very well uh, as well, uh, Kristen, in your podcast. And you get the, I, I didn't yet have this like content that I'm giving for free when they subscribe. But the idea was that like, if you want to uh, see what I'm writing, uh, you really need to subscribe. Um, and hmm. It's really worked. I like that because I am. Um... It's funny because, you know, half the time I send emails with content that's not on my website, but that was an accident. Um, what would you say is your best? Because I get this question all the time is how big should my email list be, which I think just depends on too many things for a short answer. But how did you get majority of your email addresses? Yeah, that, that's a good. So one of the things that works very well is like, you know, I, I'm publishing content on the website. Uh, and I always have this huge box that says like, oh, if you like this article, you should, you know, and I repeat the thing about like exclusive content. Um, I like it started also, I have like a huge network. So I basically wrote to all my contact and you can basically extract your, your LinkedIn contact. Um, and there, there's like export my data and then you can add those email address. So I basically did a mail merge asking people, can do you, could you subscribe? Like, would you be interested? Like, I, I left my job as a reporter, blah, blah, blah. Now I'm focused on a fintech company and I'm writing amazing newsletters. So if you're interested, subscribe. Uh, so so that, that was a hack that got me, like, started. Like, at the beginning, you start small and, like, all this thing that don't scale are actually great to, to start something. And people transfer. So, like, at the end, of, I'm saying, like, oh, if you get, you know, if someone transfer you this email, and I, I think it makes people... Uh, it, it reminds people that you can actually share this. Um, so it's another way. I love that because you did the the long play um, content-based approach. Yep. And I find that because um, you had something. I love that because for digital products, that's actually a great play. Because, you know, if I'm raising money for a hardware, it's a bit harder to do a content play. Um, it's still definitely possible, different angles. But that's cool. Um 
And how long did you build your audience for before you actually launched your campaign? So, so it's like, so the beginning of the company, I didn't think I would do a crowdfunding, but basically there was six months of building the audience before I, I launched, actually launched the, the campaign. Uh, yeah. Okay. And how often were you posting new content? Um, I, at the beginning, like two or three times a week. And I got a lot of guest blogs because I'm not like, I didn't have time to, to write all, all those things, even if it, it used to be my job, but I uh, running the company didn't allow me. But I, I found a lot of people that wanted visibility, whether they're like uh, financial advisors, uh, like, I don't know, accountants, a lot of people, you know, want to share. And some people were like, one of the contributor was actually a retired guy who basically was against something I wrote and was like, oh, Oh, you didn't think about that and was kind of rude. I told him, like, that's really well thought what he said. Like, would you write an article in my blog saying that? And he said, yes. And he's like, his article are, are amazing. <laughs> he's just doing it for, for fun. That's amazing. Don't you love when people are rude and then you can turn it around to something positive? Like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh... yeah, like being a, a journalist, like you learn that fast. Like you get all those, like, you know, I, I, not so much hate mail, but like a lot of people don't realize that like you're a person. They're just like, oh, I'm, I, I know better, blah blah blah. You know, I don't know. It's kind of the, they're frustrated in their day, and it's kind of their way to vent. Yeah. And I would say that ninety percent of the time, when you're like, you know, like you just answer to that uh, without like saying you're stupid, just saying like, oh, that's interesting. Like, continue to give me give feedback, and you you can. Uh, convert those people because they have some um, engagement. Most people read an article they don't even know who wrote it, right? Mm -hmm. So if the guy took the time to like, you know, write me an angry letter, it means that he already engaged. So I, 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 over the years, I converted a lot of those people into fans. I mean, fans is a big word, but like people that are actually, you know, interact and defended me uh, uh, wow. later on social media. That's uh, amazing. And, and you have like a small 10% that's always going to hate you and those people, like, if they just, um, you know, answer by even uh, meaner stuff, you can just block them or ignore them. Exactly. Um, man, that's amazing. I, can, I was so tempted to go into a bit of a tangent there. But I'm curious, like, some listeners are probably thinking, all right, so digital product, is it smoke and mirrors? How different is it to structuring a campaign for a physical product? Um how did you structure your rewards for a digital course? Because you just have one digital course. So can yeah. you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, so so basically uh, we had like one very small token reward that was like 10 bucks and can be a better use of the, the, the app and we're going to send you a sticker. But it was more like for people that were not interested in the course or didn't have any money or whatever, like wanted to contribute somehow. Uh, but then we went straight to like the course because that's what we wanted to move. Like, like the idea is not to sell T-shirts. We didn't have T-shirt, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so the the basic version of a course uh, that was uh, sixty dollar or fifty dollar for the early birds, and then we had a premium version, and basically it was exactly the same course, but we used the same trick that like uh, Coursera is using or edX. Or like you get like on edX, for example, you get the course for free. But if you want like a, cer a shareable certificate, um, you pay uh, sixty to a hundred dollar. 
So that was kind of our benchmark. Even if we're not like, you know, Edix is like MIT and stuff like that. Like Harvick is not MIT. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it, it worked. And, and, and another thing we did is that we say, like, not only you get this shareable certificate if you pay 100, but we're going to give a course to a student that don't have money. Um, so, so, and, and for us, as the, the like, there's no cost of production for a course, like the marginal cost. There's an overall cost, but giving another course costs me basically nothing. Because it's already produced. You're not shipping anything. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Absolutely. Um, how did you know what to price your course as? Yeah, so so I, I did some research on UD. So there was uh, quite a few courses about the stock market in the U.S., and they were usually priced at 200 Uh there's also the, the like Coursera and stuff like that that don't have cores that are really similar to us because it's more academic. Uh, but still, like a lot of cores are priced around 100. So I knew that, like you know, like at 60 bucks or 50 bucks, it sounds like a deal, and it it, it needs to because if not, people are like, okay, I'm just gonna wait that the course is released. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so if I were to take your course, is it just for Canadians or is it? Like, how does that structure? Yeah, so, so we, and, and I thought long about that because, like, North American market would be so, so much bigger. Um, and, and I would say that, the, like, the, the stock market in North America is quite integrated. So Americans will invest in the Canada and most Canadians invest in, in the U.S. as well. Uh, but, like, on a fiscal point of view, like, we have different kind of registered accounts. Uh, there, there's there's few differences, uh, like the, the the, the whole currency situation is more important for Canadian because American can basically uh, invest mostly at home. Um, so yeah, it's targeted at, at Canadian. I, I would say that 80% of the content could be relevant to uh, any anyone in North America. Uh, in Europe, it's, it begins to be more different. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I market it at only at Canadians. And, and the idea is that like you, you want to have yeah, the market is like oh, four hundred million, whatever. But you, you like the more narrow your audience is, uh, the more it's easy to convert it. And I didn't feel like I had the the I'm gonna oh, I'm gonna penetrate Canada and I'm gonna do so much marketing that like thirty million people will see it. So it didn't wouldn't have made sense for like a small you know I I didn't have any marketing budget. So so I think I think I it was a good strategy to target Canada instead of saying oh we're just gonna you know, make sure that it's for all North America and, and then you don't have the most targeted product. People assume, and this is one of the hardest things I need to do to drill into my clients' brains, is when they have a product that can cater to so many people, it's really difficult to pinpoint, like to narrow the scope. And I actually feel that, like, I totally agree with you that if you had tried to market to everyone, I don't think you would have done as well. Because resources are split too thin, it your positioning would have been too broad. It wouldn't have spoken specifically to a kind of person. But you're so niche in that a it's Canada, b it's for people uh, like myself who are financially illiterate, and it's so narrow that it speaks to a wider audience. But because you went so narrow, you are able to do that. Um, See, so yeah, guys, don't. Don't go broad with your positioning. Go as narrow and focused as possible. That's great advice. Um, I have a couple more questions here. But my big thing is, um, spoiler alert, we actually had to redo this interview because my internet was so um, 
visiting the parents right now, and the internet was not very good last week. But last time we spoke, you were $20,000 lower than where you are today, three days later when we're recording. And I understand that it's because you were in the last three days of your campaign. But I'd love to focus on how you finished strong and specifically like yeah, how did you do that? Did you push advertising? Did you increase Facebook ads? Did you email something specific to your audience? Like, can you tell me a bit about what your schedule, your promotion yeah. focus was in the last few days? Yeah, so so I I, I read like quite a lot about crowdfunding, and I, I I've read something like all oh, twenty percent of the the contribution are uh, during the last days, and I kind of didn't believe it because like I really. Uh, like pushed all the channels I could and you know like it's always slowing down at some point uh, so so I, I was prepared for that um, and, and uh, I I didn't have money the, the, the sad thing is that my Facebook ads were converting like crazy like you know like if I would put like one dollar in Facebook ads I, I collected like two three dollars in, in pledges uh, which is amazing and if I had like and, but my credit card was maxed out. I mean, I, I so basically during the whole campaign, I spent about a thousand dollars in Facebook ads. And if I had more money, I, I should have spent it on Facebook ads. So, so like, yeah, I had the same one hundred dollar campaign a day campaign running at the end. So like, didn't do any more uh, promotion. Uh, but yeah, I, I sent an email in the morning saying like, oh, it's your last day. Um, and, and then in, in the afternoon, uh, as we reached, like we had all those stretch goals, so we reached a stretch goal that said like, oh, I'm going to write an ebook uh, that's going to be kind of a summary of the course. All the backers get it. So until the end, all I was pushing is the, the $60 and the $100 course, because that's what I was wanted to move. But at the end, I, I pushed the, the, like the idea that you could just uh, contribute 5 or $10 um, and you get a free ebook. Uh, I mean, free, uh, you, you know, so, so that's not a smart strategy because people like if you are selling something $5, like you need to sell like 12 of them to compensate for a $60. It's better to, so, so, so during the whole campaign I was selling like the $60, uh, but like few hours before the end of the campaign, I said like, look, it's like the best deal we'll never have. And like uh, this book, I'm going to sell it for more than $5. That's for sure. And so we got a lot of smaller contribution. Uh, which is great because after people contribute, even if it's just five dollar, uh, then they share. So it, it's re- and also during the last hours of the campaign, like there's this urgency to contribute. Like people, the, the page convert much more. Um, so so I wouldn't recommend for uh, to people to like ask their friends to contribute five dollar to the campaign. Like they should ask for the real thing. If it's a two hundred dollar watch, ask for the two hundred dollar watch. But in the last few hours, if you like already arrest everyone. And then you're, you can come back to those people that were like, I don't have $200, but look, you, you can still have something for a smaller number. Uh, so that's kind of how we finished. Yeah, I really like that. Uh, I've also seen, like, you know, a bit of planning ahead of time can really do a lot. Like, you know, if you have a great product, you're going to sell it no matter what. But I've seen certain campaigns leave secret rewards until the very, like, last 48 hours where they'll they'll just pull something out of their hat and be like, hey, did you know we're uh, releasing this exclusive perk just for these 48 hours? You'll never see this combination for this price again. Just to, like, move that. Um, Can also be something you could do if you don't want to focus on, like, the lower 
dollar pledges, but I really love how you were pushing exclusivity and a different angle in that last day so that you're not droning your audience with the same like, oh, look, we're overfunded, pledge, because there's obviously a reason why people who haven't pledged haven't, and you're offering them a different solution so they can still contribute and be a part of your campaign. So I love that. the, but to be honest, like the, there was a little bit of luck. So, so basically, when we reached like at the beginning, the the the, the funding goal was ten thousand, and we just exploded it on the first day. So, I, I thought I had like a week to do the stretch goals. So we didn't actually plan the stretch goal ahead. So, so and, and then like I had this this idea came around, and we did a survey about like what stretch goal people wanted. Um, so that was cool because people were involved in the process. Uh, and, and I didn't really want to write an ebook because so much work. I wrote a couple books in the past and I was like, ah, I'm not sure. Uh, but but then I, I put it at 60,000 because I knew it was impossible. We we would never reach 60,000. Right. Here and, we are. And, and it ended up that in the morning of the last day, we reached this stretch goal. So, like, it's not so much planning, work well for us, but I would say there's a lot of, of luck. <laughs> <sighs> In, if you could do this campaign over again, would you have planned the stretch goals ahead of time, or do yeah. you like what you did? Like, I mean, I, I think I was lucky, but like, you know, like you need to work. Like, there was a lot of hard work, that's for sure. Uh, but like, planning more the first day and the last day, even if we had some uh, thing in place, um, I, I feel that like the ineffic- inefficiencies of like doing like writing email during those days that every minutes are super important uh, i would have written and made a few scenario like for day one and last day i would have had like okay this is scenario one scenario two scenario three and have a lot of material already uh, ready uh so if i ever do another crowdfunding campaign uh, i'm definitely gonna plan much more like on a second by second basis the first and last day yeah yeah no it makes sense uh as i was saying to you before we start recording creators they will ask me or people like, oh, well, we have 30 days. How hard can it be? How much am I working? And the reality is you're on for 30 days or the yeah. length of your campaign because every minute that you're not is a dollar you, you're not making. So, yeah, I, yeah that's, uh, that's great advice. And I guess my last question is, do you have any famous last words? Like if you could do this whole thing over again, what would you have changed? Famous last word. I guess it's not very original, but like, really, uh, you need to understand—not understand, but you need to feel that the person you're doing your product or you're doing those uh, stretch goal. You need to know who it is. Like, you need to say, "Oh, th- his name is uh, Frank, and he's going to Dunkin' Donut in the morning." And I, I, or the best is when you really think about someone who's real. Like, you know, you can do like. Um, uh, personal types and stuff like that in marketing, but the, the idea is like, what is a personal type? Like, I feel a, a personal is not real unless you can really have some real person that you met in your life. If not, it's it's often bogus because the data often tells you, you know, it's an aggregate. Like, if I look at the average age, because I calculated it, uh, the average age of our backer is 38 year old, and it was like, oh, it's much older than my target. And so if I begin into like market to 38 year old it's it's com- it's a complete fiction because basically there's younger people that are mostly millennial i would say like 23 to to 35 or something like that 
and then you have another group that are like retired people that actually don't really need the course, but they understand exactly what I'm doing. They, they, they're interested in the stock market because they, have, they are almost doing it full time. You know, it's, it's an interest of theirs. And they were readers of Les Affaires, uh, which is my former business newspaper. And so, so they just made the average age because they're 60 years and older. So they're completely two demographic that, that have completely different needs. So before, when you do the reward, think about, and, and another one that I, is, is the mom. Uh, so one of our persona is a mom that says like, usually it's the son, uh, sometimes it could be the daughter, is interested in the stock market, like don't know much. And then the mom is like, oh, I, I, I want to give them some information. So, so that's another person that we're selling to us. And, and I talked to a couple of those moms, so, so they really exist. Yeah, I love how you brought up personas last. Um, so personas are what I talk about, like customer avatars. I have a um, like part of a paid offering that I have with my influencer marketing bundle. I have a workbook that I'll make sure to put in the show notes for this episode, which is going to be crowdfundinguncut.com slash podcast slash 86. Just go there, look for the workbook. And in there, it will be a exercise for how you can actually scope out what your avatar is. Um, I'll just let that free, no opt-in required. But yeah, man, this episode is just full of gold. I love it. Uh, I wish we could talk more, but we need to wrap this up. Um, if people want to find out more information about what you are doing, uh, what's a great place to send them? Uh, I guess our website, um, it's hardbacon.ca. <laughs> awesome. I'll make sure to link that in the show notes as well. So this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, take care. Thank you so much for your podcast. I really learned everything I know from this. Aw, thank you. Uh, note to people, subscribe to iTunes, leave an honest review. Julian loves it. So, so do I. Hey guys, that wraps up another episode. Um, I screwed up the show notes with that freebie for the influencer marketing workbook are going to be available, uh, episode 87. So you can go to crowdfundinguncut.com slash podcast slash 87. Uh, thanks so much. It's been an amazing show and looking forward to speaking to you next week. Um, Hey, you know what? I'm always looking for podcast guests. So if you have an angle that you think would make a great show, please do send me a pitch by uh, email at k at crowdfundinguncut.com. We're always entertaining new guests, and I sometimes don't hear about some of the amazing things happening on Kickstarter and Indiegogo until you guys bring them to my attention. So why don't you just uh, take some initiative and send me an email? If you think your angle is relevant, um, please note I only will... Uh, bring people on the show who have already launched their campaign and have seen some success because I only, uh, you know, I see value in actual results and not planning for results. So yeah. And again, if you guys are digging the podcast or you want to leave an honest review, there is a link to iTunes in the show notes as well. Um, or you can just go to crowdfundinguncut.com and there should be a link there too. So thank you so much. Love you guys and appreciate you. And we will uh, talk to you next week. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launchpad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and 
scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launchpad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launchpad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.